Welcome to Your Financial Advocate with Greg DuPont from DuPont Wealth Solutions. As a practicing advisor and attorney, Greg teaches pre-retirees how to reduce debt and taxes and save with less risk so they have more spendable income and plan their way to a better life. Join us for this journey where Greg draws on years of experience and guest experts to help listeners achieve more spendable income for retirement. Uh, Today I'm sharing with you a presentation that I made the other day uh, that was a Zoom presentation. Uh, So there are some references to slides in this uh, and you can find those in the show notes if you are so inclined and or if you uh, want to find this on on, uh, YouTube, you can find our channel there. Uh, Anyways, uh, we talk about uh, what went on in 23, what's likely happened in 24. So it's very important information for you to wrap your head around what's going on in the markets with your money so that your money can support your lifestyle and the way you want to live it. Take care. Hello and welcome to tonight's presentation regarding the state of the market. Going to take some time here tonight and share with you some observations of my own observations of many leading experts in the field, kind of recap what happened last year and give you a glimpse on what's going to come forward this year. Yep, uh, the, the crystal ball is all polished, plugged in, and obviously not working. But we're going to find out a little bit about what happened, and we're going to try to get some context for where we are now so that you can make good informed decisions going forward and feel comfortable about where you are. Like I said, tonight we're going to talk about the state of the markets. We're going to talk a little bit about what happened last year. We're going to get a feel for where we are now and where we're going in the upcoming months. Yes, this is a political season, and that throws a little bit of a monkey wrench into the whole thing. But understand this. What we're going to talk about tonight is not about politics. There'll be some observations, but politics, by and large, are not going to be part of this conversation because the market does what the market wants to do. We do have the government that's influencing it, and regardless of what the outcome is this year, I don't believe that there's going to be much change that has a result of that. So with that, welcome to tonight's presentation. Uh, We're here to help you get a better understanding of what happened. So our agenda tonight is fairly simple. We're going to go back and see what stocks, how they did they actually perform back in 2001, we're going to, or 2001, 2023. We're going to talk about what drove market performance last year. Where are we now? And what do major financial firms, firms forecast is going to happen next year? So first, let's begin with a look back in 2023. What exactly did happen? How did stocks perform? Well, they performed unlike anybody expected them to do. So just like myself, my crystal ball not being perfectly dialed in, this is what the leading minds in investments were saying last year. Morgan Stanley, they felt that the S&P 500 target was going to be about 3,900 for the year. UBS, 4,000. Wells Fargo, 3,900. Bank of America, 3,600. RBC, 3,800. Goldman Sachs, 3,600. Group average, 3,800. But what happened to the S&P last year? Well, 4769, a 24% gain year over year. Now, before we get too excited about that, I do want to throw some context in that because that gain at the end of the year, only recently did we get back to the level that we were two years ago. So what goes down did come up, 
but for many people, it was basically a lost two years. And this was in the face of everybody forecasting that there was going to be recession last year. So let's talk about how that didn't happen because it still may be on the horizon. You know, last year's market performance was driven by optimism. It was driven by people recognizing that the recession did not yet come in and looking for a place for money. So what actually did happen last year to get us to this point in time? You know, the long and short of it was it was a bumpy ride until optimism kicked in. You know, we might remember back in the early spring when we had banks collapsing. Now, the banks were collapsing because of some decisions that they made, putting them in a bad position, but it was also exacerbated by the actions of the Fed. See, most of the activity in the market these days, one way or the other, is driven by Fed activity. You go back to the last few crashes, and the reasons that we came back so quickly were because of the Fed pumping money in. Why did the market go down this time? In large part, it was due to the Fed changing their method about inflation, taking the the punch bowl out of the party. And so when it started to become more apparent to the market that the Fed was no longer going to continue raising interest rates, that they might be at this point where they got inflation under control. Well, that's when we started to see that the market was starting to recover. Now, when there were upsets along the way, when we started to see they weren't really signaling as strongly as they were as as the market wanted them to, that they were going to raise or stop raising interest rates, that's when we had a bit of a hiccup here. So there's an old saying in the market, you can't fight the Fed. And it's been proven again. Now, what's going to happen in the future? We're not sure. But looking at 223, there are two major storylines. One was optimism because of artificial intelligence. And two, optimism because of the Fed maybe putting a pause to their interest rate activity. Understand, folks, by and large, the market is driven by emotion. Be that optimism as it was last year or fear as it was driven by the prior year. It's a big old litmus test for how we feel. It's supposed to be a measure of profits and losses and future earnings capability. But as it's manifested these days, and in all candor, historically, it's always been very subject to the whims of the public and their emotions. So as the Fed stopped doing the raising of the interest rates, or they started pausing that, we saw the market come up. Is this really a reflection of the health of the economy? Is this really a reflection of the health of our corporations? Now, we talked about the S&P 500. Understand, folks, that the S&P 500 is really just a basket of companies that have been selected by a company 
SNP, to reflect what's going on in the U.S. industrial sector. And when we look at the quarterly earnings last year, we see that the first three quarters of last year, quarterly earnings were down. And then they were up 3.5% or 3.7% in the third quarter. So is it the underlying performance of the companies that were driving the market valuation in 2023? Or was it optimism, trying to get ahead of the curve, fear of missing out so they're getting back in? We don't know. But we have to ask these questions in the context of what's going to happen in 2024. Because there are signs of struggle, serious signs of struggle. If you sat in a a meeting with me in the last year, you've heard me talk about my concern that there will be a major adjustment in the marketplace over the course of the next few years. Let's see why there might be some merit to that belief. Let's talk about the economy. We look at some leading, leading indicators of the economy. GDP growth, first quarter of last year, 2.2%. The second quarter, 2.1%. Third quarter, 4.9%. And then the fourth quarter, 2.5% preliminary results. Unemployment rates low, 3.5, 3.6, 3.8, 3.7. Inflation, we had 5%, 3%, 3.7, 3.1. They're starting to get the genie back in the bottle? Perhaps, perhaps not. Because the consumer sentiment index, the next number here, is a measure of what you are feeling and you are saying. Consumer sentiment index at 64, 62, 69, and 64 says that the consumers are not quite as jolly, not quite as optimistic as the market is. And the sentiment of home market, home builders shows the same thing. So these two core metrics, consumer sentiment and home builder sentiment, to many people, is a true measure of trouble brewing. Now, I want to kind of take a moment here and highlight this. So 2023... The market ended up high, ended up well, caught up for the losses. But the question that we have to ask ourselves is, where are we now in consideration of what's going to happen in the future? Just how robust, how believable was the result of 2023? So I get reputable things. I don't get things from, you know, from you know, fly-by-night sources. This is a report that I got first of the year from First Trust, the economists there, one of the largest and most reputable money managers out there. And I don't like to use these forums to read, but I think this one bears note. So I am going to read because I don't want to misquote. So this I got dated January 8, 2024 titled Low Quality Growth. Last Friday's jobs report showed non-farm payrolls up $216,000 216, in December. 
beating the consensus ex expectation of 175,000. Many are arguing that this was a huge number, proving that the economy is not going into recession. But digging deeper into the data brings us some doubt. In fact, it looks like the U.S. is seeing low quality growth. For example, non-farm payrolls came in better than expected in December, but not after adjusting for downward revisions of 71,000 to prior months. These downward revisions have now happened in 10 of the 11 past months. Over the past three months, private payrolls have increased a moderate 115,000 per month, tying for the slowest three-month pace of jobs since COVID's reopening back in 2020. More importantly, the kind of jobs being added are of lower quality than we want. In 2023, nearly half of all jobs added were in the government and healthcare, which is heavily funded by the government. Compare this to 2015 to 2019, before COVID, when these two sectors accounted for a fifth of all jobs added. Let that stink in. Half of all jobs in government sector and healthcare. And most of my clients are pre-retirees, retirees. What does that mean? Well, that is the medical industrial complex that's building out to take our money to provide us services. And that's the government which is funded by taxes, which, if you listened to me before, have to go up. So, where else is the quality of growth low? Construction. Many people are talking about onshoring as manufacturing comes back to the U.S. Manufacturing fact, facility construction is up 59.1% from a year ago and 123.5% from two years ago. But this isn't all private money. The government is funding many new products, projects, and the CHIPS Act and Inflation Reduction Act artificially boosting spending in areas like manufacturing construction, but this deficit spending can't last forever. Real, inflation-adjusted government purchases, which feed directly into the GDP numbers, are up 4.8% in the past year versus an average of 1.0 in the past 20 years. Let that one sink in. One more time. Real inflation-adjusted government purchases, which feed directly into the GDP numbers, those numbers that we're showing here as growth, are up 4.8% in the past year versus an average of 1.0 in the past 20 years. So what this is telling us is that the growth is being created by the government spending, which is deficit spending, which cannot control contain. So where do we get growth in the future? I continue. This low quality growth comes at a price. In order to spend on government favorite project, projects, we must tax profitable entities in other areas. This redistribution does not add to growth, 
It just shifts it from one sector to another. In fiscal year 2023, the U.S. government spent over $6.1 trillion and ran a budget deficit of nearly $1.7 trillion. In their words, this is fiscal madness. And it understates the true spending because the government was credited with a $333 billion quote-unquote negative outlay when the Supreme Court struck down Biden's plan to forgive student loans. Strip that out, and government spending in fiscal 2023 represented nearly 24% of GDP. An incredibly high number for peacetime, especially for an economy that wasn't in recession and had an unemployment rate below 4%. That's not me. That's vetted sources. Okay? So, one more thing. Because I concur with this. We haven't lost faith in the U.S. economy. Far from it. But we need to take an honest view on sustainability of the current growth for the sake of future progress. The government needs to stop digging the hole deeper and face issues head on. We will never beat China by trying to be like China. Government can never create wealth in the long run. So we take what we get. We've had a good year. How long will it continue? Let's find out. So where are we now? Let's look at some context. If we go back to November of 2020, you know, we have those factors that could be positive, neutral, or negative. If you look at November 2020, we looked at, well, negative was a political environment. Negative was a geopolitical risk. Ne- negative was the equity market valuation. You know, but that meant ec- negative equity market valuation. That means they felt it was over overpriced. We saw some things that were positive. That was November 20. Remember what happened shortly after November 2020? Well, that's when we started seeing things, right? So when we now look to December of 2022, it's hard to find anything on there that's positive. When many economists and market watchers were predicting recession in 2023, all those indicators showed that that was what's going to happen. History showed that 23 was going to be a recession, but it never came. Now, the economists, you know, the dismal science, as they call it, they're just trying to figure this stuff out, too. But we are in a unprecedented era. You know, the, the Fed historically was never as aggressive as they have been in the modern era. We're on the verge of fully adopting what's called modern monetary theory, which some say basically that the government thinks that they can print as much as they want to whenever they want to. I'm not going to go down that path. What it is for us, though, is a skewing factor to what were historically somewhat predictable outcomes. So 2022, everybody thought going into three that there was going to be recession, and now we come out in 24, uh, and it never happened. Never happened unless you experienced it yourself, because there are sectors that were in recession. 
And by and large, although the S&P 500 was up for the year by a significant amount, this is what they call a secular recovery. And this article was just in the Wall Street Journal earlier this week, so I felt I needed to include this. The S&P is at a new high. This is dated January 22, 2014. The S&P 500 is at a new high, and investors have just a handful of stocks to thank for it. That top line, that's what they call the Magnificent Seven. Alphabet, Amazon, Apple, Meta, Microsoft, NVIDIA, Tesla. That's what drove the growth. If we look at the S&P 500, that's the middle line. That's what it would be without them. And the bottom line is all the remaining 493 companies in this S&P 500. So a huge outlier in the total return for the market, the S&P 500, for the year. And not only is it a total, a, a, a huge, uh, hugely uh, skewing impact on the return, I want to point out the valuation of those companies per, as related to the rest of the S&P 500. And again, this is from the same article from Wall Street Journal. I, I suggest you pick it up. <coughs> those seven companies account for 29% of the S&P 500's market value. Now, I am not saying go out and buy them. I'm not going out and sell them. And nothing, nothing that that's not what this is about. This is for you understanding the risk that we have built into the major market index that most of your savings are based on one way or the other. And I was interviewing a market expert a little while ago for my podcast, and he made a comment. And it was in the context of Apple in the growth of its valuation over the last handful of years. And essentially, he said that if it continued on that path, its valuation will be higher in the next handful of years than the gross domestic product of Great Britain. Let that sink in. I love Apple. I'm an Apple fan. I'm using Apple here. But can it contain, can it can still grow the way it has before? You know, that's what the price is supposed to be a reflection of, is potential future growth. And so when we look at the other things that's, that were pertinent last year, NVIDIA. NVIDIA there was, big, that the growth of that was because of the, the uh, AI plays, trying to get into that. This was a small player until then, but it just grew incredible last year. Okay, So, again, we're not talking about specific things and, and recommendations to buy, sell, or anything like that. We're pointing out to you that the overall performance was driven by just a few winners along the way. If you had those winners in your portfolio, then you probably did well. Most of you did because you have the S&P 500. But what happens when these reverse? What does the future look like? You know, when we look at the leading economic indicators, we see that 
they're down. So the market's been up, but we still have the fundamental issues that were driving many well-respected commentators last year to say, hey, um, recession's on its way. Folks, recessions are part of the normal cycle of the markets and of our economy. That doesn't make them less painful. So we are facing potential headwinds. We are still still dealing with inflation. We have new competition coming from places. The Fed policy, they're trying to fight that inflation genie that they let out of the bottle. Potential recession on the horizon. Corporate earnings, many people are expecting them to come back weaker than the expectations. And then geopolitical tensions. I'm not sure if you've noticed this, but I saw an article the other day about it, and I think it was in the New York Times as well, uh, about the, the Houthis uh, in the Red Sea and the way that they are attacking ships going through the Suez Canal or that whole Red Sea area, which is forcing shipping to go way down around the South of Africa, which is adding weeks onto the normal shipping times and adding much more expensive travel because of fuel. You know, these are the type of things that have this domino effect. So I'm, I predict that you're going to start hearing people talk about how Christmas is going to be more expensive next year and those kind of things because of that shipping problem, unless they get that taken care of. But it's because of a small flotilla of people causing big problems in a pinch point for international commerce. That being said, we do have some political, some potential tailwinds that are driving things. Inflation is moderating. The Fed is indicating that they're almost done with their interest rate rising, may become accommodative. The powers that be in the market think that they're going to be accommodative. Who knows? All I can say is we have elections in the fall. What's going to happen? Artificial intelligence. China's stabilizing after they were a little slow coming out of uh, their COVID treatment and are some places that are having higher profits. I want to touch on artificial intelligence for just a moment. Uh, again, if you've listened to me personally in the last uh, six months or so, this has been an ongoing theme of mine. Um, I'm a big believer in artificial intelligence and where it's going to take us. I use it on a day-to-day -day basis in my business. But I also think it's going to have an incredibly disruptive effect. It has the ability to put a lot of people out of work, just like when the cars came on, the horse and buggies went out, just like it's happened over and over and over again. This time I fear that it's going to hit home in the service economy, most precisely in the white-collar thinking jobs, programming, accounting, lawyers like myself. So we don't know what this is going to look like. So it is a tailwind for productivity for the companies that are using it, cutting down cost because they can now do what an army of attorneys used to take to do 
with just a few in AI. So the companies become more profitable, higher profits, their values go up, the market goes up. But consumer demand, what's going to happen to that when we have to deal with massive displacement? By the way, Tesla, you know, the optimism behind Tesla, it's not really because of the the electric car more as, as much as, well, we've got some hopium in there, but by and large, it's representative of the move towards automated automation, cars, self-driving, trucks, self-driving. And think about what happens, and this is not 2024, but it is between 2024 and 2030. What happens when they do perfect a self-driving semi. The number of jobs that will be lost when that happens in just the trucking sector eclipses the number of jobs that are lost in 2008. Okay. So we need to be prepared for this. The S&P valuation measures as we see projected forward, uh, projected profit and earnings ratios they are now back to a little bit overvalued, not as bad as they had been back in 00, not as bad as they were in uh, 20, but they're still above the mean, which means they've got room to, to fall. That dotted line in the middle, that's the median price earnings index for the last 25 years. And you can see that back in 2020, it tried to get there and then dropped precipitously. And then it came back up and broke through, as they call breaking, breaking through resistance. And then it fell back down. And now you can see that last year, it hit that resistance again and started back downwards. So this is a, a what they call charting, uh, part of some type of trend analysis that, uh, that many traders use. But the takeaway on this is, We are still dealing with trying to find valuation of the market. What is real valuation of the S&P 500? And as I just shared with you, uh, right now, it's skewed because of the value of these mega companies. There always have been mega companies in it. That in and of itself is not the point. The point of the mega companies, the S&P 500, is if you think back to your time, who were some of these mega companies that are no longer mega companies? How about we just talk about GM? We had to bail it out. No, we're talking about G's. How about GE? Okay. History over and over and over and over and over. We've had these market leaders that have turned into market laggards in short order. I'm not saying that's going to happen with these ones, but I'm not saying it won't. And so much of what has been touted as the growth of 2023 is a result of that phenomenon. So what are the experts talking about for 2024? Where are we going? <clears throat> Well, consensus 
amongst the experts, and we saw how reliable they were last year, is that the S&P 500 will continue to go up based upon their earnings per share. We see that the experts believe, and that's it's hard to understand from this graph, but this graph is representing that the experts believe that the Fed is going to start reducing interest rates. Traders anticipate that it that it is about a 42% chance of being between four and three quarters and 5% at the June meeting. The forecasts are for slow growth. Forecasts for Q1, GDP growth of 1.1, you see 1.0, 1.3, and so on and so on. So most experts are expecting not a recession this year, but slow growth. In regards to the job market, I want to talk Turkey about this one. You know, we have low unemployment statistically, but that's also the result of a, a shifting workforce, shifting job participation. It's not because all because of health. There's, there is some of it because of health, but it's not the primary driver. What I want you to take home from this is that by and large, the American consumer is getting back into trouble. See, the consumer's spending habits is what drives GDP, is what drives the, the growth, drives the market. Many of you may recall back in 2008 when, Doc, when President Bush was ridiculed, uh, when they asked him what a regular American can do. And he said something effective, go out and spend money. They need the American consumer to continue to spend money to produce GDP. And what this is showing us here is over the last four years, we had the shifting of savings, the accumulation of savings as people were no longer spending money on gas going to work. They were no longer going out and they were getting money airdropped to them by the government. And now those savings are decreasing, almost gone. At the same time, consumer debt has been skyrocketing. So what's the future going to bring from that phenomenon? I don't know. But it is something that we can be concerned about. So the experts, well, they're saying that the the forecast for the S&P 500 for this year, well, 4,500, 4,200, 5,000, 5,000, 5,100, 5,100, 4,800. Well, right now we're at 4,800 change. Good for us. Where will the end of the year be? I'm not sure. So what I want you to understand is this is a this is a double-edged sword it depends upon where you are in your world are you on the early side of savings or are you on the on the side of using it now because what this shows you here is that 
over time, the market does, in fact, go up. But what this is, if you are on the saving side, you look at these one-year periods when this is showing that of for the last 100 years, call it, 27% of one-year periods have been negative and 73 have been positive. Okay? So over a one-year period, the market return. And if you look at a three-year period, well, we've had 16% of them negative and 84% of them positive. Five-year periods, well, we've had only 12% of the five-year periods have been negative, while 88 have been positive. In 10-year periods, 6% and 94%. But I want to flip this around. For my clients here that are nearing retirement, what that means, in the last 100 years, there were 25 periods where the stock market was, was negative for more than a year. 15 times, where it was three years. 11 times, where it was five years and five times when it was 10 years. If you need your savings, and it's needed to support your living, and we enter into one of these three-year, five-year, or 10-year periods, then it can be devastating. If you're still saving money, well, there might be opportunities there to buy low so you can later sell high. But... It all depends upon where you are in your savings journey. So, those of us, those of you that are clients, well, for you, what you need to do is you need to keep form, keep us informed of important life changes. Tell us about your investment concerns and make sure that your essential documents are up to date. What we will continue to do is we'll keep you informed through regular communication. We're going to continue to manage your investments according to your personalized strategy. And we're going to continue to remain abreast of economic factors and adjust things accordingly. So if our conversation tonight has you wanting to reach out and perhaps chat a little bit, see what's going on, see if there's anything that you need to do to deal with where we are right now. I'm going to make life easy for you by putting in the chat box here a link to jump on my calendar to just to see how things fit, where you are going into 2024. If we've been working together, we got you covered. But still, I'm here to make sure that you're comfortable, you're confident that the strategy that we have put in place for you is going to get you through whatever may come. If you're not working with us and you don't feel like you have a strategy that you're confident will get you through good and bad, uh, listen to me closely on this. Many experts, I use Ray Dalio as, as a regular example of this, feel like we're in the spot where there will be this major transformative event. Don't know when it's going to happen. But my mission is to get people to the other side of that transformative event with the least amount of risk and damage. And if you don't feel like you can withstand a 20, 30, 40% loss and still live your life the way you want to live it in the future, then let's talk. So with that, 
I hope you found our conversation tonight to be informative and that you take some action to protect yourself, protect your family. And most of all, please be well, take care. Good night. Thank you for listening to Your Financial Advocate. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of DuPont Wealth Solutions. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. 